and welcome to this week's episode of Wade In. After the weekend that was, we're going to be looking at the action from England and Ireland and France, of course, as well. And uh, I'm going to put out an early apology for the sound of my voice. I am still in France. I've been in Deauville all weekend, and I know it sounds like I've been on the beers for the weekend. I actually genuinely have not. I've just got a very sore throat, and that's the top and the tail of it. Uh, so apologies for the husky voice, but I've got that out early and now we can just plow on with the show without any other jokes. Isn't that right, Kevin Blake? I can't promise anything, but I said no. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin was also in Dover this weekend. You had a good time, didn't you, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, as you can tell by the sound of my voice, I was, you know, very, very professional at all times and, you know, pre- preserved the important things, knowing that there was a podcast coming on Monday. So, yeah, yeah, great form. A bit of, bit of a, a late arrival home last night, thanks to a delayed flight, but we're here. We're somewhat energised, Barry Orr, and uh, we're ready to go. <laughs> That's the difference between me and Kev, you see. He got back home to be at his desk to do this podcast, whereas I'm, in, I'm sat in a supermarket car park <laughs> like I was on Thursday when I did Racing Any Better, still in France. But Dan, you're on, you're on the wading team this week, shifted you over from Racing Only Better. So welcome to the Monday squad. How are you, Dan Barber? I'm good, thank you. Not normally my... Uh, on these industry matters, I like to straight bat it because I often think, well, I spend a lot of time on racetracks and I don't want to be punched by trainers and jockeys. So I try and stay away from the controversial. Well, well, I mean, I've never been punched by a trainer or jockey either, Dan. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never say never. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, watch out. Uh, we also have Brendan Duke on the show with us. Brendan, last time I spoke to you, you were off for a swim in the sea, I think. Yeah, I got some proper swimming in uh, th- th- this weekend. The, the the weather was exceptional, and um, yeah, th- it's broken now today. There was flooding in flooding in Castlery, but that's a notorious place for flooding. Uh, it hasn't made it up to Dublin yet. So um, yeah, yeah, okay, a great weekend. I'm 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 full of pep. Look at that. Brendan looks our most energised person on this podcast because Dan was also on the beers all weekend, like Kevin, <laughs> unlike me with my son. What an absolute <laughs> calumny that is. I have multiple eyewitness accounts that can testify to, to Vanessa's behavior in the last few days. So can I'm careful. Actually, there's actually no proof that I haven't spent four days in that car. Nobody knows if you're going to tell her anything. No, right. I, I don't want to go into details. Let's move on. Weekend reflections, guys. A good bit of racing to get through. In, in Let's start in England. Stop laughing, Kevin. Let's focus on the racing. Victory Dance won at Newbury. The Denford Stakes, the Lister Stakes, over the seven furlongs uh, for Godolphin, Charlie Appleby, William Buick, Dan. He seems to have entries in absolutely everything. Champagne Stakes, the Dewhurst, the Royal Lodge, and the National Stakes. Where? What did you make of this performance? He was he was fine. No more than that. They got to the front quite easily. He was getting closed down again near the line, but I think he'd done most of the running to win the race. Prior to that, you'd probably say, I mean, the length and a quarter margin, you could probably say it was value for double it the way he went through the race. Pedigree-wise, I'm not sure we're talking middle distance prizes next season, even though he started off at seven furlongs throughout his career. It looks like a potential guineas horse, but I think there's a fair few have laid down bigger markers than he has so far. Yeah, I would agree with that. It wasn't exactly flashy, was it, Kevin? And I thought I, I wasn't blown away by it, I suppose. 
No, look, it was a drop in class. It wasn't the strongest of the race, I think it's fair to say. And look, sure, he, he did the job. And the question of what to do with him trip-wise is an interesting one. I suspect they might stick to seven for the time being. Um, he's by Dubawi, but like there's plenty of kind of precocious, precocious speed on his female side. He's a half to um, skitter scatter. Um, famously, Dominion Philly that won the, the Moigler one. Yes. His dam is, is a half to uh, Intense Focus, who, again, was a very, very good two-year-old. Um, and, you know, Dubawi, like, it, it's it's mad the way his career has kind of gone as a stallion because early on, like, for years, like, he, he couldn't get a really good two-year-old. And, and in more recent times, like, he, he's got not, not quite a bunch of them, but he's got he's got a fair few, like, like real top two-year-olds. Um, he seems to have kind of... But maybe they've changed the way they've made them over the years. And... Um and changed the way they've they've bought in this case progeny by him to be that little bit more um to put up a bit more precocity in and speed because it certainly reflected on the track and um he look it looks a sharp horse now that's not shorter pace. Okay, interesting. Uh, he is sixteens for the two thousand guineas from an opening mark of twenty five to one, and he's ten to one from sixteens for the Dewhurst Brendan. Would you have any interest in him? At this stage, or are we just—is this not a hype horse yet? Well, he—he—he's he, not a hype horse because he's—he's he's so hard to assess. I mean, I was talking before the race on Saturday about I wasn't sure about the superlative stakes form, and I'm still not sure about. It. And as the lads have mentioned, this was a, a drop in class. I mean, he probably did put up a career best on Saturday because it was the third run of his life. But it's just. I don't know about the form of those last two races, but he's a very likable way of going. And he, he, he could be well capable of taking a step up in class, but I'd, I'd, I'd probably just let him run. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to, well, let's stick with Newbury. The Jeffrey Free Stakes, Dan, was, was won by Zachariah, who's now 16 to 1 from 20 to 1 for the St. Ledger, Martin Mead, Tom Orkand. Um, the only three-year-old in this race. And did he just get an exceptional front-running ride from Tom, do you think, Dan? I think he might have won anyway, but it helped because he was, he was maintaining that lead and possibly extending it again a bit late on. But he was the sole three-year-old. He's taking advantage of the wait for age against horses. I know we were joking about the age of outbox, but <laughs> he, by flat standards, he isn't exactly youthful, is he? Um, no. We basically he... knew where we stood with everything else. And he looked very uncomfortable, I thought, at one point. He was, but we were expecting him, weren't we, to go to the front and try and do exactly what Zachariah did. I didn't materialise. It was another classic mark on front running ride, but that's not a St. Ledger contender for me. If all he's doing is taking advantage of a soft lead in a pretty slow time against some, I don't want to say sour older horses, but older horses that if they're not just in neutral at the moment, a few of them are probably actually in reverse. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought much the same, actually. I thought the race slightly fell apart with a few of them underperforming, like, say, exposed types. Brendan, would you have any interest in him in the St. Ledger at this point, at 16s? Uh, uh, no, I, 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 I'm remembering now you're spot on about Outbox. He just wouldn't go on the left-hand lead for whatever reason. Yeah, he looked I, uh, very odd. Yeah, that, that, that was odd. But in terms of Zachariah, I suppose the only thing you'd say was it did work. He's a horse who's been keen in his races in the past, but he settled lovely and got into a great rhythm out in front. So that gives him another tactical dimension. He really wound it up from about two furlongs down, powered up the straight. He seemed to relish that long home straight in Newbury. I mean, he, he, he'll get that in Doncaster. Um, 
I mean, he's 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 going to stay in the trip. I don't actually think he'd be classy enough to 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 win the race, but I could I could see him running in the top four. Yeah. Okay. Anything Anything else to add on that on Zachariah, Kevin? Um, not loads, but I I know he's in the Caulfield Cup and the Melbourne Cup, and I wonder would they be tempted to go down that sort of a route rather than the ledger. Um, oh. it'll be interesting. He's he's off the right type of rating. We'll, we'll see if he gets any revision after this. He might well get nudged up a few, but kind of you want to be kind of 110 um, in that sort of zone for those races. And he's like 108 going into this. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he got two or three pounds. Um, so they might be tempted now because uh, he would seem to have the right type of profile. He's um, Aquas Farm, our, um, our, our partners in him, you know, they're based down there. So, um, yeah, it could be, could be an interesting proposition now if they did that. Okay, could be a bit of interest down under with Zachariah then. Um, Jumby. Jumby was pretty impressive for Eve Johnson Halls and William Buick in the Hungerford Stakes, a group two, a first group win for him. Travelled so well. And Brendan, were you saying that you like you like this race going forwards? Is that is that how you're looking at it? Well, I I, I mean, it, it was just uh, they were talking about the the Airgold Cup and he moved in the market for the Airgold Cup and he might uh, run in it. Um, I, I, I fancy one out of the way actually in the in the Air Gold Cup. Uh, I mean, you'd have to respect Jumby anywhere he goes. I suppose he doesn't win many races, but he's a consistent hardy horse. Turns up to, to, to work every time, and uh, it, it was probably as Group Two's go it might have been the strongest. But I don't think it was desperate form or anything, and he really did put it to bed in a few strides. So. But uh, just in terms of the Air Gold Cup, I'll just get in a, a, an anti-post selection now. He's favoured at the moment, but this great ambassador. I mean, he went off three to one for the Air Gold Cup last year. Now, that's an exceptional thing to happen. I'm not saying it'll happen again, but he, he won't be far off that price. I mean, he no chance from the draw in the Stewards Cup. He uh, was just totally on, on the wrong side. He's still a relatively unexposed horse. He's only... Only had 16 or 17 runs in his life for a sprint handicap, a relatively unexpected. He's only had three runs this season. Uh, he was third in the Stewards Cup last year. The ground was too soft. He's going to be running in the Air Gold Cup off the mark. Uh, he, he, he ran off last year when he went off three to one favourite. And I mean, it's, it's really obvious. And they put him in fab, in fairness to Beth Bear, 10 to one. But I, I, I definitely see him going off half that price on the day. Like it, a strong answer. Such a good shout, show. that. I mean, yeah. that horse has had absolutely no luck, has he? I mean, yeah, we, draw dust from every... For, for we have, yeah. yeah we're, we're with him again at, at Goodwood, and as Dukey saying, he marmalised those that were drawn low with him, didn't he? And everything happened this Marmalised. Oh, <laughs> Great oh, 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 I like Great that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like happened. I've served my purpose now. That's why yeah, I'm that, was, yeah, that, that was literally the only reason why you're here and you dropped the crap jokes as well. So we're really rocking and rolling. <laughs> Paramalized. I'll tell you what, Vanessa, that Primo Baccio shape well. Perhaps that's the horse we could give another chance to. No, <laughs> enough, 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 enough. I got to get off the cliff edge with her. Jesus Christ alive. Getting, getting run um, out of third was the final insult there. That was <laughs> it. That was it. I just honestly, I can't be here for that anymore. I'm done with her. I'm never mentioning her again. Um, <laughs> anything else to add, Dan, on Jumbie? If we're talking about, I mean, he's moved from 
20 to 1 to 14 to 1 for the Air Gold Cup. But if it seems like we're all aboard Great Ambassador, courtesy of this great shout from Brendan Duke at this stage now. Yeah, that Brendan's so right. If that thing that thing is just not going to be 10 to 1 on the day, I mean it's it's gonna have to miss the race to be to be that sort of price. One thing I said about Jumbies, we know he's got loads of form in those big field handicaps, hasn't he? House Bunbury Cups, races like that. He's been an absolute he's so tough and durable and he's a classy operator as well but the thing being i thought it might be one of those when i start in the running order where you get that loophole where he can run just under a penalty despite the fact he's probably improved 10 pounds but the weights come out or as i think today as we speak on monday so as a result the handicapper will have had his say by the time he lands up at air so there's no sort of there's going to be room for maneuver as such the handicapper will obviously have full crack at him Okay, okay, good to know. Um, Kev, just to flip over to Newmarket, we saw Ma- uh, Mischief Magic win over there at just the novice stakes over the six furlongs, but in very, very flashy style for the Godolphin team. Um, I mean, he was a ridiculously short price, but now two from three under a penalty. Again, entries everywhere, Mill Reef in the middle park. Did he get you going at all? Yeah, he was good. Now, I'd, I'd seen him at, um, at Goodwood. And you would have liked him there. You know, his the form of his debut run uh, back in May has obviously worked out quite well. And um, yeah, he's coming forward. Look, he, he had a pretty simple task, but he uh, he did get style points and went to his left a little bit. But I don't think that was anything to be hugely concerned about. Um, fast enough pedigree now. Um, full brother to, to Sound and Silence, who, uh, who, who we knew well. And yeah, he's an interesting horse now. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see how how punchy they get with him because uh, they've taken a baby step with him here. And um, normally with Charlie, I think when he, when he when he takes a when he takes a view to take baby steps, to kind of keep taking them as best he can, rather than, than lashing them in now into into you know, I don't know the middle park or something like that, which he's entered in. But it, yeah. it'd be interesting to see where they go with him. Okay, uh, let's move over to Ireland. And um, Brendan Luxembourg uh, remains unchanged for the arc at 16 to 1 and is in at 5 to 1 for the Irish Champion Stakes, following on from his return to action. He got a little bit of a scare, but it was all very cozy in the end. Is that how did you view the race? I think that's even, I think that's probably fair. He did win snug enough at the end, but still, you'd, you'd definitely be a little underwhelmed. I was there, actually. It just shows you the importance of going to the pre-parade ring, because I never go to the pre-parade ring. I just go to the parade ring. And apparently someone told me he got a bit upset in the pre-parade ring. Now, there wasn't a bother on, on him in the parade ring. And again, you, you might be uh, you might better bring in Kevin in on this because I don't really know what goes into training horses. Like Aiden was on afterwards saying, oh, he's 20 to 30 kilos heavier than he was in the 2000 guineas. But how, how much as a horse is growing as a three-year-old, how much weight do they put on? Again, I don't know. He didn't look grossly overweight to me beforehand. He had a blow after the race, but again, nothing... Uh, nothing out of the ordinary it was definitely a little bit I will say I'm not exactly sure of the tactics in the race like this horse his main asset is his cruising speed and they didn't really go a very strong pace so uh, maybe Aiden was worried that if he sent his two horses up the road the others wouldn't chase them but I'm, I'm not sure the race was run to suit Luxembourg I do think he's a high class horse and I, I could make a case that he was an unlucky loser in the 2000 guineas but at five to one on the back of that performance, I could I could probably give him a uh, give him a swerve. I'm I'm, I'm going mad with um, 
anti-postal elections actually but i see i'm, I'm not sure if i'd back this one because i don't know the plan but i see that my prospero is in a 20 to 1 for the irish champion states he's entered uh, and the haggis stepped him up he, he ran well into james's palace he, he needed 10 furlows uh, even back then and they didn't go much gallop and ascot but he, he ran well in the James's Palace and he's since gone and won snug enough in France. He's an exciting horse. If I knew he was going to run, I'd be interested in him at 20 to 1. Love it. Brendan, just bringing all the anti-post tips to this weighed-in show. I'm mm-hmm. liking this. Um, any, any reaction to what Brendan was saying there, Kevin, about horse's weight and the fact he's so much heavier now than he was? Any feedback on that? Yeah, sure. Look, they're all different now, but he was always a bit, you know, geez, he was a big two-year-old. You know, um, like in terms of what he did in the race, I was quite happy with it. Like he's only won a neck, clearly. Um, most would have considered the workman like, but I'd say reading between the lines now, they kind of had a bit of a rush on to get him there. Um, the view being that if he was to be bang on for the champion stakes, he needed to get a run in. And uh, the race was a bit messy. Obviously, wasn't much pace. He looked beaten a couple of different times. Um, but I, 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 I thought it was perfectly satisfactory. The excuse me, the, the mare that he beat, like, is, is no back number herself, in fairness, like, look, she, would she be, you know, how would she get on in, in an Irish champion stakes? She'd be 100 to 1, but um, she does have a, a, a strong level of form, in fairness, to her group 2 winner, etc. Um, so, so I thought it was perfectly satisfactory. Wouldn't have knocked the socks off anyone as the, the subsequent, you know, uh, non-movements in price for the big targets tells you, but um, I'd say they'd be pretty happy with it now, and I think all concerned were happy, so um, I'd be expecting a different level of performance next time, and and we'll learn more because look, we we're, we we still don't know where this fell is, where her ceiling is, you know, you know, really good two year old. The Guineas run was excellent in kind of funny circumstances, um, so you know, over trip that's almost cert- certainly going to prove to be you know well short of his best. So, um, yeah, you could, you know, I wouldn't like to put a ceiling on him yet, and I'd be expecting much better next time. Interesting running story in that. You're two to nine chance, 1.23 bet fair SP. Um, he probably was headed briefly, wasn't he? But he went 23s in running. Yeah. The runner up, the runner up was done at 33s on. Oh, okay. you look back in bets at the end of the season, you think that <laughs> that that lump had at 1.03 <laughs> to try and get to try and get the two to nine shot beat, and probably wasn't my wisest. drone drone man in tears yeah and and dan just off the back of what kevin was saying there obviously for luxembourg like there's so much shine around him sort of coming into the guineas after that good two-year-old season and just the way the year has gone obviously things have not worked out for him he's had the physical issue he's had and he's had so much time off he's been in the guineas like did is is his appeal kind of back now after that comeback performance or are you still a little bit wait and see on his next run well i want to credit the better fair sportsbook compilers for actually keeping a price unchanged rather than the obligatory clip two points off just he's come back and shown he's still got a heartbeat which happens so often doesn't it <laughs> that's all you were looking for but equally horse like him who even his, his mile form was head and shoulders above them i'd have expected in a, in a falsely run race like that that it would interrupted prep or not that it would have just been way too good for them stepping up in trip and I'd be less inclined to back him now than I would have done before, and to be honest, I did. he was he was absolutely fine, but no more than that under the circumstances. When you consider the step forward he's going to have to take in the Irish champion, I mean, it's it's the the level of the form that he achieved. He just pulls apart, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, he's going to have to step forward hugely. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see where he goes and how he performs on the next him having had that comeback run now. Um, Brendan Raise You is now 14 to 1 from 25 for the Long Distance Cup following his performance in the St. Ledger trial, the group three at the Curra for Joseph and Shane Cross. Um, pretty comfortably in the end, six year old still seems to be improving back to his beloved Curra. Oh, yeah, they've, they've, they've done a fair job with this horse because he was, he was a promising horse for Andrew Baldwin, of course, thought good enough to contest a French derby. And then his form, even his first couple of runs for Joseph, he, he didn't show anything and they sort of had him in mild handicaps and he, he, he won a valuable mild handicap up the car. I'd, I'd heard actually that the horse had wind issues, but the problem is, they, as you well know, Vanessa, you can only believe 50% of the stuff you hear on the track and which 50% you believe. But anyway, it, it doesn't yeah. look like it doesn't look like the horse uh, has any wind issues at the moment. Anyway, he's, he's in the form of his life. Uh, probably, arguably, should be unbeaten this season. Had a bad, had a bad trip in Limerick, and may well have been beaten by a very talented horse. Um, and they've got to go for the Irish Ledger, um, full of hope, as you say. He, he loves the track. I mean, he's just danced in uh, his his two wins this season, and she's now mug on a on a going day that search for a song. Uh, no. Whether they whether they go for the long distance cup afterwards, I mean they, they, they probably would. Why not? I mean if you if, if you've gone and won an Irish ledger or run well in an Irish ledger, uh, you you might as well. Um, uh, the, the horse has boundless stamina and his cruising speed. You can do anything you want with him in a race. Kevin, where where's Razi's improvement going to stop? Do you have any any idea yourself on that answer for that? No, he's he's been brilliant this season, and just the like the thing with him, like it wasn't a breeding problem; it was, it was a settling problem. Like he came with a reputation of being a bit of a tearaway, like he used to train by himself um, in Ballings, I believe, and um, getting to relax was the thing, and um, and it just took time, and he's eventually got there. And I tell you, the, the day they started to come good actually was because he's owned in, in partnership um, Brian uh, Brian Gleeson, who we all know well, um, bred him and, and owns a share in him, and um, it was Brian's. Son John um, gave him an absolute worldly of a ride um, at the Curra, trying a mile and a half for the first time back end of last season in, in the Amateurs Derby. And he, oh, yeah. he gave him a beautiful ride and got him to relax. And, um, you know, it, that stamina was always in there, but he just didn't give himself a chance until then. He, he relaxed really well and bolted up um, that day. And they kind of gave, um, you know, that kind of set out what, what, what to do this season. And he's just relaxed much better. He's, he's, he's a much better ride. Um, Shane gets a lovely tune out of him. Like Limerick was just a horrific race to watch, really. It just went wrong. Um, as Brendan says, he probably should have won, but it was no mug in front. But it was just one of those that, that got a bit messy. And um, to be honest, I was quite worried the other day going into that the, the ledger trial because there just looked to be no pace on paper. And that's not really what you'd want with him. Like you'd want as much pace as possible in front of him, really. But um, I think it's a testament of how far he's come and how, how much more relaxed he is now that. He was able to tuck in there and, and settle quite well and, and, you know, travel everywhere and, and go and win first time over a mile six. So, um, yeah, there wouldn't have been a decision made yet on what direction he goes. The Irish ledger will be obvious, but um, he's entered up in all the all those races in Australia too. And um, he'd, he'd have a fair set of tools now for, for the way they race down there. Um, just, you, you'd, you know, he'd always like, he wouldn't want the ground rattling fast is the one thing you'd say, but... Um, like he's very talented. Like at the age of six, he's he's probably come forward a, a fair bit this season. And mm. um, yeah, you, you might have a job. He's an interesting one. 
sorry, you, you, you'll have to talk to the owner because he was up on the podium afterwards saying the dream was the Irish ledger. So if you're going to quash his dreams, <laughs> uh, you, you, you might have a, a bit of a job on. <laughs> yeah, look, look it, it would be an obvious one. And like, it, it'd be interesting this year, the Irish ledger, because of course, They've um, they've fired up the Irish Cesarewitch to uh, six hundred thousand. Uh, it's now worth more than the Irish Ledger, and um, you know that's that's for horses rated up to one hundred and ten. And I just wouldn't be surprised if the, the Irish Ledger ends up um, not quite suffering, but just ends up being a, a smaller field type of contest um, because of that. Because there's there's not there's only um, I think a fortnight between them. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how one impacts on the other. But yeah, you, you that the Irish ledger is obvious, but there are alternative options there too. The improver with so many options, raise you that is. What about um, Point King without wishing to freestyle too much? Joseph yeah, Kovac, he was impressive, wasn't he? Um, he he's he's improving the way the whole time. Big cold. Um, yeah, he he like he have a fair few options as well. There'll be dis- discussions to be had there as well, but. Um, yeah, he looks a he looks a lovely coach, lovely three year old. Kevin, the race planner, got lots on his plate to get stuck into over the next few weeks. Autumn targets. Why <laughs> so um, the big big cash? Yeah, exactly, oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, let's focus in on the big Group One the weekend. We were all looking forward to it. The Brijak, the Marwan, Doville. Uh, I've had a great time. If you can't really tell, but as did Frankie, <laughs> Dittori, and in Spiral, uh, Philly, the three year old, in against the boys. And she wins, Dan. Uh, were you impressed with the performance, first and foremost? One of those, uh, because I've not done the race any great depth, and then I look back at, I watched the replay, um, having seen the result, and I think actually, it was a, you, you think a Philly winning race like that, it's like it seems significant, but lots have done it. And it's also the fact that she did have a pretty standout chance at the waist, didn't she? She was top rated with time farm ahead of Caribus. Caribus, we know, he definitely hasn't kicked on from that Guineas, has he? I know Ascot, no. not much went right for him at Ascot, but it was an absolute scramble and he might have finished fifth if not a few other horses would have got right over him. any of those horses at Ascot. No, I didn't. So. Mal, yeah, Mal June will remain the fastest finishing flat horse I've ever seen in a race. <laughs> that was quite, quite staggering. <laughs> like, you, those American quarter horses couldn't have eaten him over two furlongs that day. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, and it, it, she, she, we know she's extremely good. It's a positive, of course, that she's put that below par run behind her when it was a small field, tactical race. Things probably didn't work out ideally. But either side of that, she's she's looked fairly brilliant. But my favourite part of the whole race was Frankie. Wiley old Frankie putting the stick down in a close finish later. You know, just a, a jockey of such expertise, knowing exactly what he's got under him, knowing that he's got the others co- covered. Now, no Lady Aurelia jokes here, but he got it absolutely spot on that time. <laughs> Yeah, it's a class act, that. It's a class act to be able to do that. Uh, Kevin, you were there at the track. Uh, before we get into the obvious discussion point with you of state of rest, just to focus in on the filly, um, has she taken a step forward there from what we've seen? Obviously not from her below-par effort, but her, her previous performances. I'm not sure she has. No. I wouldn't like to be certain. People will assume she has, obviously, because if she's beaten the Colts, etc., I'm nervous um, uh, she hasn't as well. I'm nervous yeah. she hasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Look, she was brilliant at um, at Ascot against three-year-old fillies, um, beaten by a long way. Um, there was certainly more depth of opposition in this race on paper, but a fair few of them didn't turn up. Um, and look, the thing was, look, look, my view on the Falmouth was that she just did, didn't get a great ride. Um, you know, she was ridden in contrasting style to Ascot. She was put into the race very early, very, very early. 
and just got nipped um, relatively late. Um, so they returned to a, a quieter ride here. Um, there was good pace in front of her, and that and that's that's that just suits her. I think I think that's her. She's a very good filly. Um, very good filly. You know, it was the season hasn't been straightforward for her. She was a delayed comeback, and then she had that blip last time, the, the time before this, obviously. So, um, yeah, like I, I wouldn't want to rule out that she could do better again, but. Um, I, I, I don't know if this was better than her Ascot win, even though I'm sure many will consider it was. Um, Brendan, just looking at her, the pro, her profile and that clearly that she's not the most straightforward to train, just from what Thady and John have said about her in the press, she was slow to come to hand, there was targets that she missed. It's not she's not always been the most straightforward, and then obviously the performance in Newmarket as well. So she can be dazzling, but my view is she might just be not always, yeah, straightforward. And so would that be a concern if they were going to take it to the Breeders' Cup, for example, at the end of the year in November? Would you would you tie that in with any concerns about traveling her to a race meeting like that? I wouldn't have actually. I I, I mean I. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I know, I know what you're saying about the spring, but I mean that can happen with fillies. They 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 don't do well in the cold, um, and, and they couldn't. I mean, I'm only guessing that uh, it, it, she she just wasn't uh, read, ready for the guinea, so they gave it a swerve. Other than that, she was fairly straightforward as a two year old, and I thought, I mean, she was a touch keen, as, as Kevin says, this was one of the right gold clip. Uh, but I, I thought she was a touch keen in the race. And then she's off the bridle quite a long way out, but she showed a lot of heart and uh, to, to win the race. I, I think she's, I think she's fairly straightforward. Actually, I, I wouldn't have any okay. real, real temperament concerns about her. Okay, well that's fine. Where would you like? Where, where would you see her going next? Then, where, where do you think we'll see her next? Um, well, I, I, I would say. I mean, would they go for the Sun Chariot? They, 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 they could go. Well, Sun Chariot QE2 is a bit close. Maybe maybe QE2, and then if, if all goes well, they're on to the Breeders' Cup. That would be my guess. I think he did mention the Sun Chariot, but this is the usual story. They just mention everything post-race, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Kevin... Obviously, we can't move on without talking about State of Rest or any of the other beaten horses in behind, really. But in terms of State of Rest performance, the mile, what 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 was the feedback afterwards? Um, yeah, sure. Look, everyone will assume it was the mile, but I don't think it was. He just wasn't himself, Vanessa, for some reason. Like, he was he was so far below form. He checked out a long way out. Like, one thing you'd say about the horse so long is he's been a model of consistency. You know, it brings his A game every time. And sure, look, the thing that changed was the trip, but I... I, I don't think you could put it down to that. Like, look, he, he raced in third. He raced behind um, Order of Australia, who hung in there, you know, reasonably well. And it, it was just very disappointing. Look, you know yourself, you get you get excited about these things um, in, in these big races, and you hope that they go well. And um, it didn't go well this time. But look, he he, he came back a one, and um, it'll be almost certainly, I'd imagine, onwards to the Cox Plate to try and uh, defend his title there. Right, okay, well, that is something for us to look forward to. Hopefully, he can yeah, head back down under and do what he's done before. Uh, let's move on to a bit of weekend news that's been sort of floating around the Racing Post article, Dan. Um, trainer Marcus Tregoning believing that British Racing's regulatory body should limit the number of horses trained by yards, sort of the idea of super yards being a negative for the sport. What was your view on this article that came out? Well, I know Kev, as Kev's discussed in the past about 
the setup in Japan where there is a restriction. Is it 35 or something, Kev? Yeah, I think it is in Hong Kong. Is it something like 60, something like that? So, you know, there there is there is precedent there, in fairness, for, for this type of thing. Yeah, I, th- I do think generally it's quite quite a worrying trend but i'm sort of gonna because it in, it's obviously with it being trigoni you just can discuss the flat side of it but i mean jumps wise it's it's a big issue isn't it when you consider i mean everybody's down downbeat about british racing generally over jumps or it's uncompetitive and that's sort of always put under the microscope at cheltenham when willie mullins does what he does in ireland and god nelly does what he does in ireland and absolutely dominates the scene but i think aside from that that those big festivals where yes there is an imbalance what is the more uncompetitive product because i'm not dead sure i did some i did some digging for numbers you've got 18 trainers in britain last season over jumps who had 100 who had more than 50 winners 50 winners or more compare that to ireland where i know we're dealing with fewer races is about maybe what two-thirds of the amount of racing um over jumps certainly at this time of year Compare it to, to Ireland, and you had just four apart from Mullins. It was Mullins, Elliot, um, Henry, Joseph, and Gavin Cromwell. Their next highest was 29 winners. There were 128 trainers who didn't have a winner at all with a minimum of 10 runners. And in Britain, that's only 55. So I do think this notion that it's all should all be doom and gloom in Britain and everything's rosy in Ireland, I think is a I think it's a bit of a red herring. I'm not sure that is the case. Of course, I'm biased and my, my leanings are always towards Britain because that's where I do most of my work. But if you're gonna if you're gonna describe a picture of what is pure domination from superpowers, aren't you actually looking at Irish national hunt racing rather than, than British flat racing even? Yeah, no, I, but, I'd be with you there, Dan. Um like I would I would never describe Ireland as all rosy for sure. Um plenty of the issues that you have in Britain are, are mirrored in Ireland and are different set different types of problems. Um and it's a tricky one, this question, like because really do you really want to go down the road of penalizing people for being really good at their jobs? Like, is that right or fair? Um, you know, free market economics, etc. But then on the flip side of the coin, you say, well, most other sports would have mechanisms in place to to prevent dominations happening, you know, whether you're talking about um, you know, financial fair play rules, whether you're talking about, you know, the draft system in the NFL, where the worst team gets the choice of the best players the year after, etc. All, all with a view to um, keeping the thing as, uh, as even as possible and to, to stop the same team winning again and again and again. Um, but uh, yeah, the, it's one of those, if you were starting from scratch with horse racing, it, it, it would probably be something that might be a good idea to put in. But now that we are where we are in Britain and Ireland, um, I, I don't think you can you can retrofit it. Um, like look, it seems to work well in Hong Kong and Japan. Um, you know, Hong Kong is a particularly interesting example because you'll get lots of well, you'll get you know trainers being um, attracted there from you know very, that are very successful in other jurisdictions, and they get to go into that environment. They're a very tight, competitive environment, and it's number restricted, so it's more you, you could say that it's more merit based. Than, than a free market situation but yeah I'd, you know logistically as well how would it even work like if you yeah, if you, if you, got if you, yeah, if you, if you said stable. tomorrow right you're right lads you're only allowed to have 50 horses in training um each one of appleby's yard managers would have a trainer's license mm-hmm. within two weeks mm-hmm. um you know that, yeah. that's just the way it would happen and that might it might give the appearance of a more competitive environment but it wouldn't really 
you know, all the big yards would do the same thing. All their all their their pre-trainers, all their assistants would go and get licenses, and it would effectively, you know, nothing would really change by name on the card. Um, you know, it's the same thing when people say, Oh, you know, owners should be restricted, shouldn't be allowed to have more than you know, whatever, three runners in a race. Um, yeah. you know, you, you ju- you're just moving the pieces around on the table, you're not actually changing much. Um, so while you know, it might be a nice thought. The practicalities of it probably aren't really, you know, they're not. They wouldn't really be all that functional and effective, would it? No, I mean, it certainly couldn't be an overnight thing, could it? Maybe if you phased it in over a fairly long period, <laughs> you're saying to Appleby or Mark Johnston, Mark and Charlie Johnston, right? Tomorrow, as of tomorrow, your 250 horse string has now got to become 50. Well, what do I do with the 200? Well, <laughs> but here, here's one for you. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently with all the talk of, you know, yeah, and you know me now, I'm always going on about that there needs to be something very disruptive to happen to kind of cure all the ills of British racing. And some of the things we've talked about, you know, is that, you know, live racing, you know, almost tongue in cheek, something like that being needed to, to, to make things a bit better. And, you know, the talks of introducing a tiered system into racing. Like the one, one thought that came into my head was that if you did have a tiered system and that's your your tier one with all the best racing yeah imagine if you if you didn't say the trainers right you can only have 50 horses but if you said you could only have 50 horses for tier one racing and you know everything below it, it feeds into your 50 so that at the, at the tier one level it is a bit more like hong kong and that every trainer can have no more than 50 um you know maybe that's a thought you can have 500 in training if you wanted but you could only have 50 in your in your squad for the top racing um yeah, yeah all sorts of weird things going on in my mind now so it's probably quite flawed but it was, it was something that came into my head well, recently. all ideas are needed into the mix and it would sure make things interesting but brendan we always knew kevin was going to be against the idea of a train having 60 horses because joseph only had 60 then kevin would be out of a job because he could probably do his race plan himself <laughs> i i know I'd have, I'd have my own license taken out <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd be pushed into that one. Um, Can you be massive? Could you be massively bent as well if we did it? Could we all have like in? Could it be like um, Barney Curly plotting them up for years in advance, Kev? That'd be great. Uh, we, we, we we make Barney Curly look like Jim Gorman. <laughs> uh, Brendan, would you have any views on the idea of this sort of this sort of discussion of, of super yards being taken down a peg or two and having limited numbers? Well, I think it's very difficult with flat racing. I mean, I'm not that pushed about national hunt racing. They could do what they want as far as I'm concerned. In terms of flat racing, you can't take the bloodstock element out of it. And if I'm a big owner breeder, I want to be able to send my horse to who I deem to be the best trainer. And I don't want someone to turn around to me and say, no, you can't do that. Um, and, and these are... These are billionaires you're dealing with here. So you're going to get into all sorts of problems. I just I just don't think it's workable. Maybe, as the lad says, there, there could be some tweak in it. But um, I just, I just the, the best trainers get the best horses. That's the game. You'll suck it up. Uh, in, in Ireland, people worried about uh, Aidan O'Brien completely dominating the game. And then you see Jessica Harrington and Jair Lines coming, coming along and now Joseph coming along as well. So you just get better. That's what you've got to do. Just get better. Absolutely. I agree with that mantra. Um, Stradivarius staying in training for another year. Dan, what are your thoughts on that? Were you surprised to hear about this? Not really. I, I welcome it. I mean, he, what, his, his ability is probably shown. What, five or six pounds from his peak, that's all. He's still very competitive in all the best staying races around, even though the 
quote I did see typically amused me. He's never seen Nielsen doesn't ever seen to have a horse beating on merit, does he? This was he mm. said we could ah. potentially have won both of them under different circumstances. So he's obviously going back for more, but the horse isn't deteriorating very fast at all. So why would he be vastly worse next year? I, I keep him in training, put that stud career on hold. Yeah, I mean, look, we've discussed it, Kevin, haven't we, on this podcast, that wherever this fool seems to go, the story is around him more so than whatever goes on to win the race. So we'll just have more of that for another 12 months and people, the people who own the winners of the races can be upset for another 12 months. Yeah, it's a bit pantomime, like it's a, it was. It is a bit. <laughs> and of course, look. now, now, Kim, we're going to have the added argument of, of will Frankie ever get back on it? Oh, and, God. you know, that drama. And if that happens, thank God. Yeah, the pantomime continues. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Okay. Look, the, the horse isn't that far off his best, I don't think. You know, drive on. It's, it's well established. He, he's he's going to be a very tricky sell as a stallion. Um, if it was yeah. going to happen, it would have happened by now. Um, so race him until he doesn't want to race anymore. You know, I can't see why it's even a debate. You know, last while it's been, oh, will this be his last start? No, just drive on, lads. Certainly <laughs> get the end of the season, you know, get him rolling again next season, see what it, what his enthusiasm is like, what his, what his you know, soundness, well-being are like, and that's your look, drive on again. Why not? Yeah. Come on, lads. Enjoy yeah. the horse. You'll be a long time getting another one like him. Mm. quite exactly no it's welcome news to me but i think we can just drop the pantomime around him ideally um brendan apparently kevin prendergast was banging on about wanting changes to the handicapping system i must admit i haven't haven't even it's literally just on the running order i've just read out what was on the running order (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm just gonna put my hands up in the air and say that so take it away please brendan and expand on that first Well, I had to read it a couple of times because I'm, I'm, I'm not totally sure. One of the things is in other countries, if a horse runs second or third, his mark is not affected until he wins. In, in other countries, I mean, there's a lot of countries in the world. It's I mean, just it, not it, accurate, that, is it? It's very, it, it's not very specific. And I really, I mean, I really don't like it. I mean, like, say, for example, you had uh, an early season three-year-old handicap, the Madrid handicap or something, and two horses come five lengths clear and one gets beaten a short head. I'd certainly want the handicapper to put him up a few pounds before he next runs, or it's it's, it's kind of ruined that race. He, he also says, I didn't know this in fairness, an Australian race, and they're doing a lot of things right. The horse runs in Australia in a weight for age race with a handicap mark and runs well. He still has to run off the same mark that he has had if he goes back into a handicap. Now, I don't hate that. I'm not sure whether I'd want to be saying to my handicappers, we have this rule. And you can't deviate from I mean, We were talking about a horse on uh, Friday, uh, Thursday, five. Um, 5,000 to 1 oh, yeah, who, would, yeah. who, who would run well in a three-runner conditions race and the handicapper looked at it and said oh well I don't believe that form I'll leave him on the same mark and I, I like to see that thing and I feel like I've actually no evidence for this but I feel like that goes on a lot uh, and that the handicappers are quite sensible and what happens is you get this confirmation bias where the trainers only remember the ones where the horses have been put up for running well in the conditions race uh, but that's just a guess now. I've no actual empirical evidence for that. Um, but I, I would say at the come the end of the season, Andrew Baldy won't remember five thousand to one being left on the same mark for that Newbury handicap. So I'm I, I'm not sure about anybody. I, I I think I'm happy enough to trust the handicappers to do their job. It's Bill Belichick stuff. Just do your job. Yeah, and a couple of things. Obviously, British jumps brought that thing in for novice chases, whereby mm. say you're a one ten rated hurdler you're running against a 130 rated hurdler or a horse has already got a rating over fences, perhaps, and you're running against him in a chase. If you push him to a neck, 
you can run next time with your mark unchanged, which I can sort of welcome that. But in the other thing, it's about handicappers that progress to group level and maybe run above themselves by £10. To not inconvenience that horse and leave him on the same mark, you're inconvenience every other horse that he'll run yeah. against in a handicap next time because they'll all be badly in at the weights with him. So just to just to appease the the very isolated examples of this horse improved ten pounds, uh, but we don't want to penalise him, so we'll let him run off the same mark back in a handicap next time. What do you say to connections of the other nine or ten yeah. horses that run against him who were ten pound wrong at the weight straight away? I mean, yeah, really, like, like in terms of like placing horses, like you really in terms of how you campaign your horses, like you, you really shouldn't be putting your horse in a spot whereby he could be heavily penalised for very little gain. Like that's on, that's on the trainer, really. You know, if you, you know, that, that, that's to be uh, someone that thinks about these things a lot. Like that's, that's the ultimate nightmare scenario that you might go up 10 pounds for finishing fourth, you know, and get no prize money or any mm. real gain. You know, the exception being like a filly that might be rated 80 and you run her in a black type race. You know, and, and with Phillies, I know you're just a lot of the time you just want to get the rating as high as you can. Um, so that that's the exception. Like, but really, a lot of the times you see this happen, like the trainers, the trainer has no one to blame but themselves, really, if they put him in such a spot that that that, that type of thing can happen. And with regards to the suggestion that, you know, only winners should go up, you know, it, it just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. It leads to to you know kind of fundamental unfairness in the situations like the lads outlying you know where horses have you know finish a close second with a mile clear to third and um you know we'll go off odds on next time off the same mark you know that's not fair on the on the overall population so I don't think um even if you made those changes like I think the point was that it's, that these that these the handicapping system is driving trainers out of the business you know like no. No, I think okay. that was a that I think that was a fair old reach. Now, as much as we we all respect Kevin Prendergast, I think that was a bit of a reach. Okay, seems like an overriding no from the team then on that matter. Uh, and finally, quick mention about this Tremor Stewart story. They failed to inquire about the regarded sort of gambled on improvers. Brendan, can you flesh this one out for us? What happened in Tremor? Yeah, so the, 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 there was a big punt on uh, Friday. There was uh, the three horses connected to the to the Mullins yard. Did Danny Mullins ride them all? Maybe Danny Mullins rode two of them. Anyway, there was a big move around half nine in the morning, which, as these things go, was it wasn't terribly orchestrated. At least they didn't blow it overnight. And it does seem to have run up some reasonable uh, li- li- liability. So it, it, it was a decent effort of pulling off a stroke and... They missed, but they didn't miss by much. In fairness, um, I, I, I suppose I hate the word optics, but I suppose from an optics point of view, the steward should have had them in to explain the improvement of form. But I just, I, I'm reminded again of Thursday about uh, Haggis's guy saying, "Oh, the horse wasn't suited by the way the race was run," and that that explanation was noted. The explanations are always noted, and it's a very difficult situation. For the stewards, because I mean, what do you say? Uh, <laughs> I you, don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're like, flat out cheating. I mean, so Scottish yeah. has had what uh, nine runs in his life was a promising form for us. So trainer's rep comes in and says, "Oh yeah, we were running him over the wrong trip. He's had a three month break. He's really come to himself. He loves the sunshine." Explanation noted. Okay, next one. Natural look. What's the story with this mare? This mare's only had seven runs in her in. in in her, uh, sorry, not natural look. That wasn't the one. This was the one that won actually. This Molly Fantasy, this uh, Tony Mullins. Apologies. This thing they got it from Germany. 
took a long time to acclimatize, I don't know, travel sickness or something, and actually ran well in Clonmel. Uh, three, two runs back from the performance on, on Friday, and then they had the trainer's explanation. Uh, the trainer said Billy appeared to resent the application of a thumb strap. Okay, that was noted, Grant. Yeah, and then on to, on, on to the next one. This is the one that was a hundred to one. This two plus two equals. Well, they're just going to say, oh yeah, well, um, she showed something in point to points. Um, didn't do much in maiden hurdles, but we gave her. 10 months off and she was that she the really Tobin came. one was it Tobin yeah Tobin. yeah, yeah Paul Tobin yeah well Paul says she's really come to herself over the last 10 months so she's only had four career starts I mean what did the stewards turn around and say all right Paul Tobin you're cheating I mean that's a dangerous <laughs> game just because I mean Paul Tobin probably has access to legal representation mm. so I I, I I I think it's really really an optics thing I suppose the stewards probably have to prove that they're at least awake uh, but I don't think it would have made a blind bit of difference. There's a, okay, I think then. there's been a bit of a, a sea change in something with that, though, quickly, V. That, um, in the past, handicaps were always the the avenue for people to land punts, weren't they? You get a horse who you know is well ahead of his mark. But Charles Burns had a period doing it a couple of years ago with winning with horses in maidens that were strongly about. It was a period with, with bump horse as well where he had his strike rate was like stupendous and that's sort of felt like Emmett's done that a bit more lately has it in that he's been winning maidens with horses when traditionally that wouldn't have been the route that the um prospective punts would take they'd almost always be handicaps and Gavin I, I don't like to second guess you but I am here I'm gonna guess that you think the stewards should have at least inquired because you're always banging on about the stewards being awake or not yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. They should have asked the question. Look, like the lads say, I don't know. You know, you're not going to probably get much illumination, but you you have to ask the question. You know, that's that's their job. Um, and but like Brendan of... says, but like Brendan says, if they're just going to give a bullshit answer, then what is the point? Look, that's the job. That's their job. That's their job. Um, Looking, there are means to to like if if they weren't satisfied or if they thought there might be more to it, they could always refer it on for further investigation. Um, we know that the betting markets are are covered a lot more thoroughly now than they once were. They, they subcontracted that subcontracted that out to the BHA, um, and look, there are options there. And really, to to have nothing appear on the report um, was it, it was you know it's it's just not good enough. You know, you have to at least ask the question, get it on the record. We say it all the time. Like it's not just stuff like this. There's just numerous cases. Anytime we get a short price fav that runs bad, there should be something appearing on the report so that someone, um, a bidet punter or whatever, that evening say, God, what happened that favorite? They can go to the stewards report and and say see that um the questions were asked, the answers were hopefully given. Uh, and they might get a bit more um, satisfaction from the situation. So it's just, they, they really should have asked the question. Fair enough. Uh, on a side note, before we move on to a very short listeners question section, Kevin, I was so amazed and impressed at Deauville, right? Before the pre at the Marowak, the paddock, around the paddock, you literally couldn't see the horses. Like I couldn't get close enough to the horses for my liking because there were so many people there. In like to see those group one horses. And it really hit me that you're often told, you know, when you see those midweek races, race meetings in France, obviously there's nobody there and everyone says, oh, nobody goes racing in France. 
on the big days, I felt like there was a real and genuine interest in that big race. And like, there was a lot of excitement around it. It was a great atmosphere. And it really made me feel like the contrast between that and my days racing at the Curra for Guineas weekend, for example. I mean, did I just felt like it was streets apart, the experience you have on a day in France like that. Did you, did you feel the same? Yeah, it was lovely. Um, like it was my first time there. Beautiful track. Um, like you, you know, I came with, uh, and I'd been at the the pre Ghana in May, you know, with, with a very small crowd there, and that kind of fed into the this, this 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 common view that you know no one goes racing in France. So I was kind of half expecting more to same, but but it was it was buzzy, you know. Geez, I sat out in front of the stands there for a few races, and like there was right a roar, you know, greeting every every finish, um, and and it, yeah, it was just a lovely day. Uh, now look, the sales being on. Um, right in the middle uh, of this race meeting, obviously, you know, you know, bring people in for sure. Um, you know, Doville's a popular holiday destination as well. So it, it all feeds into people going through the gate um, to have a look. But yeah, it was, it was a lovely day's race. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no. And just, you know, we're all constantly having this discussion about attendance is going down in the uk and ireland and then you have a day's racing like that in france and i just thought now that's how you do a day's racing it was class but you're right there are surrounding factors kept but if any of you get the chance to go to doville do it's a great trip let's move on to some questions uh, just a few of them and we will start down this one can come your way matt smith has asked should national hunt racing end after the whip bread and only start again in mid-august like it used to if you take out if you take out Tom Jones, what's the point in summer jumps? Oh, I see the reference there. Sorry. If you, what's the point in summer jumps? Matt Smith is asking. What do you make of that, Dan? Would you like a break? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean the, the obvious vested interest, first off, from my perspective, is that's three months of income, but it's not just me. So I'm doing, I'm covering jumps, a lot of jumps racing in the North for racing TV, for instance. But there's not just me. There are people that are working as cameramen. There are people that, are riding horses or people that are training horses there are people that maybe work on the race course in some capacity or other and you're just going to say again overnight oh we're not racing for those three and a half months and there's there's other more sort of stuff to it there's i calculated 795 races run as of sunday in britain over jumps since whitbread day it's probably too many i'm not saying i'd be against trimming it slightly to to get that field size average above the seven that it currently floats around but that's 795 owners and it could be JP McManus who has hundreds of winners, but it could be a syndicate member who he's therefore denied the chance of having that winning experience. It's likely to keep him in the game. And I know punting, punting for me is the most, most significant part. And I'm not in the Mark Johnson category of thinking the horse alone is enough to, to entrap people. Um, I think punting is a massive part of it. And without it, you'd be, the sport would cease to exist, wouldn't it? But at the same time, the owner experience is a thing, and that's seven, as I say, seven hundred ninety-five owners who wouldn't have a, a winner. I mean, there are trainers who are set up exclusively to win races during the summer. That's their, yeah, that's their business yeah. plan. And floating back to the the Marcus Tregonin point, discussing these super trainers and trying to avoid that. That's all this would encourage, because you just push, even if they don't swap the seven hundred ninety-five races and push them into the period, Whitbread Day from, from the middle of August you're going to have all the, the winter horses that are back by then. And the majority of the races again will be skewed. It won't be small trainers winning them. It will be more of the bigger trainers. And that lack of meritocracy would 
would just be heightened. I think I, I'd be I'd be against it. I really would. And I know it, for for some comparison, Ireland their, their average field size are about twelve over jumps, but even a lot of those you're dealing with eighteen runner maiden hurdles where only two or three of them count anyway. Is that massively competitive? I mean, and another thing, it's always obviously we talk about field sizes lows. We don't want small fields day in day out. It's it's quite boring and you lose appetite, which nobody wants. And it's something that we all struggle with, I'm sure. But there is a happy medium. I don't think we all want 20 runner handicaps either. And these horses that are yeah. in training and living would all have to run during the main body of the season. And yeah, I'd rather a, a mixture of field sizes rather than having to deal with 16 runner handicap chases every time I open a race card. Yeah. Um, okay, well, so it's a no from Dan then on having a break, and I would concur with that, actually. Uh, let's move on. Keith Nicholson, Brendan has asked, not a fan of team racing, but should team teams' horses be coupled for betting purposes? Right. Um, well, 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 I don't understand coupling, to be honest with you, Keith. There must be a reason for it. They, um, they, they still do it in France and America. They, they used to do it in France and America. I don't understand the point of it. I mean, punters have agency. You can back both the horses if you want. Just do that. Um, yeah, I don't want, any, I don't want, I don't want any coupling. Yeah, okay. if, I, if, I, if I want to back the, the 20 to 1 one rather than the six to four one i really don't want to be taking whatever five to four even money um for about about to, to get on my 20 to one shot now so it's couple of the 220s island chances for in the racing oh, league Jesus, yeah, yeah. More, more like more like 50s chances yeah uh, <laughs> um brian messer has asked uh kevin what's the point of classified races surely handicaps are preferred yeah yeah, no, I'd agree with you. Um, <laughs> they put them in. I don't know, you know. They, I wouldn't be well. You are a fan of them if you happen to have a horse that's right up at the top of the whatever. If it's an auto eighty classified, if you have one rated eighty, they're the best things since sliced bread. But um, other than that, you know, it's you know, why not just run in handicap terms to so be be fair across the board? So yeah, I'd agree. The with vast you there. Ma- the vast majority. In, I know we've had those two at Sugar Cup Day, which I wasn't sure what they added, but. The vast majority are not to fifty handicaps. Yeah, and that, yeah. that that in classified, sorry. So the inbuilt class that me and Kev talk about, it means that a fifty rated horse. I mean, not many horses rated forty odd and fifty win handicaps, do they? It's pretty rare. So you're able to run against other limited animals, and it probably improves your chance of winning rather than even in receipt of weight. The the fifty horse, unless he's ahead of his mark, he's going to get beaten by the the seventy horse, isn't he? Even giving him twenty pound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I often wonder, though, Brian, trust me, when I'm doing those 0-50 classified races at Wolverhampton or wherever they may be, I do wonder what's the point of this occasionally. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, just generally, what is the point? I can be like existential. I mean, remember band, remember, remember banded racing? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that, that's probably 20 yeah. years ago now, is it? My yeah. Wolverhampton existential crisis, though, that's, that's a start of a novel, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they no, they they, op- they opened at the pyramid stage at Glastonbury yeah, a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, look, that nicely wraps up the show, boys. Uh, thank you all very much for your contributions, as always. Uh, don't forget, we'll be back with Racing Only Better on Thursday, and we have the York Ebor meeting to look forward to next week. So things really ramping up back in England next week. We'll get we be, we will be getting stuck into that. And on that note, I'm going to go and try and fix my voice before next week because oh this week shit this week 
See, I've lost the run of myself. I don't even know what day I'm on. This week, it's Monday. Um, I'm going to go look after my boys. Thank you very much for listening as always. And do stay tuned for Thursday's episode of Racing Any Better.